Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week, Hollywood makes our wildest dreams and nightmares come true. But before we get to preternatural pitches, I want to take a moment to say thanks to our newest patrons, Ani, Charles, and Bonster. Thanks also to Meredith for increasing their donation and to Raymond for another donation via PayPal. If you'd like to support Black Horror and enjoy ad-free episodes, just go to nightlightpod.com legion to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast plus occasional bonus content. You can also make a one-time donation to support us at nightlightpod.com donate. And don't forget, Nightlight merch is available, and you can support us by sporting Nightlight-branded gear. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. Now sit back. Turn out the lights and enjoy The Pitch, written by Elmarie Wood and narrated by Sheree Stewart. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and, let's just be honest, sparklies. Not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E.com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Okay, so imagine you're sitting on the train taking selfies or maybe doing a live or something like that, and then someone starts acting crazy. At first it looks like a prank, you know, just some dumb shit. Oh, sorry, but you know, the same stupid stuff you see on the train every day. But then they start, like, killing people, the guy said animatedly, his hands bracketing the space in front of him as if he were holding a box that was jiggling around of its own volition. He was in his mid-forties judging by the wrinkles popping up on his forehead, but trying not to look like it. His clothes screamed twenty-something, but not just any twenty-something. A twenty-something who was a fashion influencer finger on the pulse of pop culture but in a casual way type of guy. He was selling his idea hard. His eyes almost bugged out of his head with excitement. It made Julie tired. Think 28 days meets a New York City subway station, right? Totally enclosed, there's no way out. Running zombies? Julie supplied. Running zombies, yes! He banged the table. See, you get exactly what I'm saying, right? And then they're falling down the stairs, falling onto the tracks, getting crushed by the train, coming into the station. The girl, well, I see it as a girl, but it can be whatever you want it to be, right? She's doing her live and... He started gesticulating wildly. Julie didn't know if she was excited for or afraid of the jazz hands that were likely to start up soon. She catches all of this in her video, but doesn't notice. She's too busy looking at herself, right? So the people watching are like, girl, watch out. And she doesn't know what they mean. And she's all smiling for the camera and her followers or whatever. And then, you know, 
Julie waited, holding her tongue. She'd have to leave him in a moment, she knew that, but for a few seconds more, she wanted to wait to see what he would say. Five seconds. Ten. Twenty. Uncomfortable now. Twenty-five. What? Julie asked, knowing the answer, but hoping against hope that there was more to it than there seemed. He squirmed in his seat. His hands drew in more of a parenthesis than a bracket. You know, she dies. They all die. Even he knew that wasn't enough. The zombies get them? Julie asked. Just to be sure, he understood that she understood that there was nothing else to the story. Yeah. He started searching for something else to add, but finding nothing. The zombies get them, but maybe not all of them. Epiphany. Maybe they only get some of them and then the others fight them off. And then what? Julie prompted, knowing what would be next so well she could recite it with him. Well, then they would escape the subway and uh, keep going. Keep running, right? Head for the suburbs where there are less people. Like every other zombie movie, Julie finished, putting him out of his misery. He didn't stop talking, but she had stopped listening. She thought about turning her camera off to see if he would get the point but decided she wasn't that person. Not yet. And it could be whatever you want. You know, you could go survivor view or zombie view. Yeah, it could be a whole different kind of party then, right? There's so much you could do with an old horror antagonist who owes its resurgence to a comic book. He looked at her in confusion. It took everything she had not to snort. Thanks so much for telling me about your idea. I will give it some thought. Yeah, cool. And remember, right? It can be whatever you guys want to do. I'm totally flexible, right? I mean, you guys know best and... Thanks. Sure. She cut in, looking to her wrist at the non-existent watch, telling her she was late for her nightly series binge. Right, and it would be super cool if... Okay, yeah, good night. She left the meeting. She left the meeting while he was in mid-sentence. She left the meeting after talking over him and he was in mid-sentence. Damn. She was turning into a bitch. But he wasn't going to stop, she told herself as she prepared for the next round. He was going to keep going, even though he knew the idea sounded like everything else. Maybe a different setting, but maybe not. Julie thought she might have seen a zombie apocalypse in a subway done before. Maybe before streaming, maybe even coming out of another country. He was never going to stop, even though he knew it was a lost cause. So she had to save herself. Maybe she could have done it differently. Okay. She'd admit that much. But in the end, what was done was done. She opened a new video call. The woman waiting for her was visibly nervous. The lighting didn't do anything to help the situation at all. It threw blue on their shared screen, making her skin appear almost translucent. This made Julie feel like she could see the woman's veins, the one in the center of her forehead specifically, and that vein was pulsating. Okay. Julie paused to confirm the name, causing the woman to shift in her seat. Val, what you got for me today? Val took a deep breath and then began. Singer in a band that was popular like 20 years ago meets his current wife, the one who's ready to leave him now, at, at a signing after a show. Only the show was way back when, you know, like way back before the band even had a deal. Julie nodded. Val nodded. Eyes widened and chin dipped conspiratorially. Julie waited. Waited some more. Go on, Julie said, more than a little anxious to hurry it all up. 
Yeah, so he wakes up and the day is normal. He does a show unconsciously looking for this estranged wife in the crowd, even though she shouldn't be there. She lives on the other side of the country, but doesn't find her at first. But then uh, when they're about to leave the stage, he sees her and she's young. And he, he asks his bandmates if they saw her, but she shook her head and sat back from the camera, relaxing into the story. They didn't. Another pause that Julie dutifully waited through, but this time it didn't seem like Val was going to say anything else. She waited a beat longer before speaking again. And? Val looked at Julie like she'd spoken another language. Then she offered, The woman, she wasn't there? Julie was talking before she meant to be. Had she had a chance to slow herself down, she might not have added so much edge to her voice. What's the big deal about this, Val? It's cool, sure, maybe even a little creepy, but where are you going with it? Is it going to be a life on different planes, alternate reality kind of thing? Is it horror? If so, how? Is it romance? If so, it needs a little edge. What do you want people to get out of it? What will they talk about after the last scene? Val looked nervous again, and this time Julie didn't care as much. I don't know, I mean, I, I guess it could be a romance, Val started. Maybe they find each other again after all that time? Maybe he was tripping or something and he just keeps imagining her. It was Julie's turn to shake her head this time. You haven't written this yet, have you? Well, no. I, I thought I was here to talk about my... Your script. You are here to talk about your script. Not pitch an idea so you can go write a script and then think I'm going to do something with it. You're not there yet. But they said, put some bite into your idea and get it on paper. Come back next year. Julie left the meeting. This time totally okay with doing so. She looked at the time, 10 minutes until this chore was over. She'd have to take one more person. Julie sighed, closed her eyes. She was irritated she was there. Manning pitch sessions wasn't exactly the highlight of a film festival, and online made it even worse. You were truly a captive audience then. Each person looking at you, your backdrop, your personal space, and assessing it, whether for meaning, relevance to the discussion, or just to be nosy, it was exhausting. But somebody had to do it, and she had drawn the short straw that year. The good thing was she wouldn't have to do it again the next year. She'd get to have drinks or screen a film, or just sleep if she wanted to instead. She could do whatever she wanted, which was anything but this. Ten more minutes. One more pitch. She took a deep breath and opened the call. And there was silence. Silence and blackness. It seemed like no one was on the call yet her window had adjusted to accommodate two videos. Whoever was on the other side didn't have their camera turned off or their sound muted. It was just blank. Hello? Julie said, the same way she would answer a call from a phone number she didn't recognize. The lilt of her voice as it rose to form the question loud in her ear. Nothing. There was no silhouette. It wasn't like someone had dialed in from a dark place and didn't have the right lighting to illuminate themselves properly. It was as if the camera were shooting a black wall. If you're there, I can't see you. Can you turn your camera on? That had been one of the rules. You had to have your camera on to pitch your screenplay. As festivals tried to pivot and figure out how to make the online experience worth the price of admission, several changes had been made to the process. There were online movie screenings and forums for feedback, Panel discussions you could watch live and pre-recorded material as well. 
there would be an awards ceremony that no one would attend in person, and then there was the virtual pitch thing that she had been doing for the last hour. Several houses were doing it, including some indie outfits. The rules stated that both parties had to have their cameras on and have adequate microphones. They also stated that there shouldn't be a whole lot of distractions either. Dogs barking and your kid playing his drum kit in the basement were not welcome. It was ten minutes of time. If you couldn't spare that, don't sign up. Easy peasy. Yet here she sat with a blank screen. Julie sighed and fingered the edge of a bratted screenplay sitting on the desk. She hadn't planned to read it. It had a pink cardstock cover, for God's sake. So she had planned to throw it in the trash. But she opened it instead. It would give her something to do while the person on the other end sorted out their problem. She read, smirking expectantly. Interior Post Office Mr. Levy's Office Evening Mr. Levy, mid-forties, overweight, balding man, paces the floor in his office. He walks to the door and looks at the empty lobby. He walks back to the mailroom and sees Cal, smoking a cigarette and talking to postal worker number two. Mr. Levy, Cal? Cal looks up. Mr. Levy, continuing sternly, Come into my office, Cal. Mr. Levy retreats back into the office. Cal, mumbling, I wonder what the hell he wants now. Postal worker number two. Sounds like you're in deep shit. Cal. He's always busting my ass for something. Postal worker number two. Same shit, different day. Cal. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Julie exhaled incredulously and made a show of depositing the screenplay in the trash can next to the desk as she mumbled under her breath. Going postal. Do people even go to the post office anymore? The screen was still blank. Hello? She said, irritated. She could just hang up. And Julie really thought about doing just that because the event was pretty much over anyway and who would care? But then she thought about whether or not they were logging time somehow. Could see that she kicked off early. If they could, and that bought her another year of manning the pitch booth, she'd gnaw at her own wrists. Hello? Are you there? Nothing. Look, you're supposed to have your camera on, so... Nothing. Maybe they had a bad connection, had gotten kicked out somehow. How long was she expected to stay if no one responded? The recording light, the inconspicuous little dot, showed itself in the corner of the screen. Yeah, they were watching. Julie sighed, looked at the clock. Seven minutes. Seven minutes, seven minutes. She could do anything for seven minutes. She tapped at her desk and looked around the room, took out a screenplay they had bought and got back to marking it up. She waited. Four minutes. Julie shook her head after checking the time and went back to work. But then she lifted her head to stare at the screen. What if they thought she should have logged out? Should have picked up another call instead of goofing off in the room doing nothing? The festival folks, they really take pride in their programming, and if she wasn't pulling her weight, her boss might hear about it. Julie's eyes flicked over to the recording button. It was still on. Hey, is someone there? She tried but got no response. She tried clicking around on the screen just in case it had gone to sleep and somehow kept the call visible, even though that didn't make a ton of sense to her. She was grasping at straws. Julie leaned closer, trying to decipher movement in the other video. So when it happened, she was too close to see it for what it was. It was only when she leaned back in her seat resigned to the fact that she was either going to catch hell for wasting 10 minutes editing a screenplay that was already bought and paid for, or slip under the radar that she saw something in the other video screen. 
it was an outline of her head. Black on black, so it was difficult to see, but it was surely there. Julie could see her hairstyle pulled up in a ponytail, windswept bang over her forehead. She could see her large hoop earring in the absence of one in the other ear. She could see her features engraved on the black like ink, her teeth an outline block. Her eyebrows furrowed. The action was mirrored on screen. She leaned closer, and the reflection did the game, some weird doppelganger dance with her computer twin. When she was young, she'd had an idea about something like this happening, but it was in a mirror. She had pulled her medicine cabinet mirror open one day and held it against the big rectangular one in the bathroom she and her sister shared, creating at least ten reflections. Little Julie's, standing in the mirror, wearing a parochial school outfit. She remembered thinking it would be creepy if somewhere way back in the line of reflections, one of them changed. If that Julie turned her head or changed her expression or something like that. She remembered thinking that would be an excellent movie. She didn't see the hand come through the screen to caress her face until it was too late. She was too busy staring at her eyes reflected in the pitch, the emptiness and recognition inside battling each other for first dibs. It was the mouth that won. The mouth, dripping with something black and viscous, something she felt roll down her chin. The mouth that made the first cut, and that was the way it should be, after all. In her head, as much as with her ears, Julie heard a voice that sounded like it was speaking from underwater, ask the question that had frightened her into a corner, before she had jumped the desk, taken ownership of it, and fashioned it into a weapon more times than she cared to admit. That it would be the last thing she would ever hear never dawned on her. She was too busy taking in the shape of her eyes reflected in the ink, like a coin stamped with a stencil that was too wide for it. But if it had... She wouldn't have been surprised. She almost let the hand that came from the screen cradle her head. The hand that wouldn't show up on the recording when the staff looked back and tried to figure out what happened to Julie Stafford from Media Mix and why she stood up her last appointment. Indeed, the video wouldn't show much of anything. Mostly the top of her head as she read something on her desk and the occasional glance at the screen. The tech tasked with reviewing that meeting was about to turn off the feed when he noticed Julie leaning forward, her head cocked to the side in an unnatural way. It gave him the chills. He would never say it that way, but it was the truth. Her chin seemed to reach toward the screen, tilting her head to the side and distending her neck. When she spoke the last words she ever would, he didn't jump. That wasn't the thing that made him call his manager and tell him to check it out. That she had said, and, seemingly unprovoked, was weird. But what made him stand up and back away from his desk was when she looked at the camera dead on, seemed to look right at him, and with her neck too long and her chin thin to a point as if someone were squeezing the flesh there, she smiled. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new stories every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to nightlightpod.com legion. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at nightlightpod.com donate. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. 
Give us a shout out online on Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram at NightlightPod, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ransompodcasts. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by Davis Walden. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. Ghosts captured on film used to be all the rage. Proof of the supernatural was at every turn. And then, cell phones invaded. With the number of readily accessible cameras in people's pockets and the virtual meetings we've all endured in the last few years, you'd think there'd be an explosion of evidence of the afterlife. Instead, we're drowning in fakes. You see, the same tech that gave us mobile cameras also led to highly edited videos. So does that mean that all of those ghosts captured on film long ago were also fakes? Or are there just so many fakes that we can't find the real specters? And even if we did find a genuine video, would we believe it? Join us next time, and be sure to leave your nightlight on. You never know what might be waiting to meet you in the dark. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.